At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. In this lecture from neurosurgery, we're going to talk about intraparenchymal hemorrhage and subarachnoid hemorrhage. While neurosurgery does get involved in the other type of brain bleeds talked about in head trauma in the trauma section, we're only going to briefly mention epidural and subdural here. To get the whole brain bleed picture, you're going to have to watch both videos. And it is not uncommon that you have to make the diagnosis simply based on a CT scan, one plain image on the test. So let's talk about the two different brain bleeds in neurosurgery, first starting with the subarachnoid hemorrhage. A subarachnoid hemorrhage is a product of an aneurysm. That aneurysm either leaks or bleeds. And generally, this is a product of hypertension. So someone has an aneurysm already, and then while it can occur completely spontaneously, generally something tips it off. It's going to be athleticism or having sex, something where you get vigorous increase in your heart rate and blood pressure that causes the Barry aneurysm to rupture. The patient is going to present with a thunderclap headache. And much like thunder during a thunderstorm, it comes on suddenly and is maximally intensive all of a sudden. There is a rapid crescendo. So this is not a headache that starts off and gets worse and worse and worse over time. It's normal, 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 worst headache of their life. That's the classic phrase, worst headache of their life. If they are not obtunded and they're awake, you might be able to get the history of the sentinel bleed. This is a little leak that stopped on its own. And you did, and someone thought nothing of it. They sought medical attention, they treated them with pain medications, and it went away. And now they're back with the actual bleed where they can present with anything from headache with neck stiffness all the way through focal neurologic deficit into complete coma. And so if you see focal neurologic deficit, burst headache of their life, anything like that nature, what you're going to do is get a CT scan, non-con CT scan of the head. What you're looking for is bleed. If you remember from the stroke lectures in medicine, the reason why you get a non-contrasted CT in the setting of a stroke is because you want to rule out blood. A non-con CT tells you blood, no blood but you have to be able to diagnose the condition based on the location of the bleed. So let's give you a graphical representation of what that means. This is midline. This is the brain, brain parenchyma, the cisterns between the gyri, highly stylized. There's a meningeal layer that covers this, and then above that is the dural layer with the skull on top. In the setting of subarachnoid hemorrhage, you are bleeding within the meninges, but not in the brain. So if you see blood filling the cisterns or the ventricles, you're talking about a subarachnoid hemorrhage. If instead you have a bleed within the parenchyma itself, you have an intracerebral or intraparenchymal hemorrhage. And intraparenchymal is the better word because you can have a bleed in the cerebellum, the cerebrum, wherever you want it to be. And then those bleeds that occur in trauma, the epidural and subdural, are going to be outside the meningeal later, so the blood will not get into the cisterns. So in the setting of a epidural hematoma, 
you're going to have this lens-shaped lesion that bleeds above the dural layer. And then for a subdural hematoma, you're going to have bleeding above the meningeal layer, but below the dura. And that's generally going to be a crescent-shaped lesion. This is subdural, this is epidural. So when you get that CT scan, you'll see blood, and based on where the blood is and the shape of the hematoma, will tell you which one it is. If you make the diagnosis of subarachnoid hemorrhage, you need to very quickly get a look at the vasculature, because you want to make sure this aneurysm doesn't need to be taken care of. Angiography is the right answer. But if you can, use MR or CT angiogram because it's less invasive. Unless you're going to go in there and fix it. With an endovascular maneuver, you should stay away from the angiogram where you poke their skin. This is less invasive and gives you just the same amount of information. But if you really suspect someone has a subarachnoid hemorrhage, and CT scan is negative, what you can do is a lumbar puncture. And what you're looking for is xanthochromia. Old blood yellow-tinged CSF, and you can separate a traumatic tap from subarachnoid hemorrhage by watching tube 1 and tube 4. A failure of the blood to clear in tube 4 means that there's actual blood in the CSF. That first tube might have blood in it just because you popped a capillary or an arteriole as you went in. The failure to clear means there's a brain bleed. Now, CT scan is really good at identifying bleed. So if someone has a severe subarachnoid hemorrhage to the point where they have focal neurologic deficit or they're obtunded, the CT scan is negative, it's something else. But if someone just comes in with a really bad headache and they had that sentinel bleed and the CT scan is negative, check the LP for xanthochromia. Once you make the diagnosis of subarachnoid hemorrhage, look at the vessels with an angiogram. And here's where we're going to get pretty heavy. You're going to know a lot about treatment. Treatment is broken down to the complications that occur early, that is within 48 hours, and those that are late, those that are going to occur between five and seven days. What occurs early, and the biggest one, is going to be bleeding. And to reduce bleeding, you want to decrease the mean arterial pressure. The higher the blood pressure, the more blood you're forcing into the skull. So bleeding can be controlled by getting the blood pressure down. You want the blood pressure less than 140 over less than 90. You're going to do this with intravenous medications, usually beta blockers or calcium channel blockers because they're rapidly titratable. And then you have the option to do either coiling or clipping. You do this if you have that aneurysm. We'll talk about when you choose which in just a minute. Another problem that occurs with subarachnoid hemorrhages is hydrocephalus. If they develop hydrocephalus, you have two options. You can either do serial lumbar punctures, or you can do a VP shunt. If the person is really bad and their intracranial pressure is really high, you might need to do a craniotomy to relieve the pressure. If you're going to open up someone's skull and get into their brain, that's when you have access to do the neurosurgical clipping and placement of a VP shunt. That's the person who's obtunded who's doing really poorly. If the person has a headache, and they have a subarachnoid hemorrhage and they're not getting better, or they have a pro problem with an aneurysm, and you're not going to do the craniotomy, you're not going to open up the skull, then you do endovascular coiling and serial LPs.
Another problem that occurs early and that turns into a late problem is going to be seizures. And everybody gets seizure prophylaxis. Seizure prophylaxis can be with anything. Levetiracetam is what you'll see used commonly now, but any primary first-line anti-epileptic is okay. And then there's this thing about managing intracranial pressure. For any brain bleed, you're going to need to do this. So someone who has an increased intracranial pressure is going to need to reduce that intracranial pressure. And things that you can do are giving hypertonic solutions like mannitol or hypertonic saline, elevate the head of the bed, and hyperventilate. And this is not unique to any type of brain bleed. If you have increased intracranial pressure, before you cut their skull open, try these things. On the late side, there's really only one thing you have to worry about beside the seizures, and that is going to be vasospasm. After a subarachnoid hemorrhage, someone might suffer an ischemic event because the vessels constrict and essentially cause a stroke. To prevent that, you'll prophylax them with calcium channel blockers. If it happens, you'll see this on the wards and you'll read about it in books, but you will not need to do this for the test. If the calcium channel blocker prophylaxis fails, you might have to actually increase their blood pressure using vasopressors to try to increase perfusion to the damaged brain. Now that might sound counterintuitive because early on you're going to drop the blood pressure, but late you might increase it. Lots you got to know about subarachnoid hemorrhage. We'll hit it again at the very end. Less you got to know about intraparenchymal. Intraparenchymal hemorrhage is almost always a product of hypertension. And the symptoms they're going to present with are going to be dependent on where they're actually bleeding into. Often they're going to present with some sort of focal neurologic deficit. Headache, nausea, and vomiting. This too, depending on how rapid the bleed is going to become, can be can present with rapid de deterioration of their mental status and francoma. The diagnosis is made by getting a CT scan. When you find it, the treatment is very similar to subarachnoid hemorrhage. You're going to decrease intracranial pressure, craniotomy if you need it, and then you might need to evacuate the hematoma. And of course, that's why you do the craniotomy is to get in there. If you have someone who has a brain bleed, you need to follow it up with a CT scan, daily scans, sometimes even faster if they're deteriorating. What you're looking for is the expanding hematoma. If it's expanding, you need to get it out of there because the more it expands, the worse they get. And more so with intraparenchymal hemorrhage and a subarachnoid, as the hematoma expands, they might actually begin to cross midline. A midline shift. And if you get a midline shift, there's only so much space in the skull that eventually you're going to herniate. Now, there are some herniation syndromes you can read about. You don't have to know about each individual one, except for the uncle herniation where the brain is forced through the foramen magnum, they get fixed dilated pupils, and they're dead. All right, subarachnoid hemorrhage you got to know a lot about. Thunderclap headache, get a CT scan. If you think it's a subarachnoid hemorrhage, but the CT scan is negative, get an LP. If you find subarachnoid hemorrhage, evaluate the vasculature with some sort of angiography, generally going to be radiographic. When you find it, control the blood pressure, clip or coil, depending on if you take open their skull or not. 
can manage hydrocephalus with serial LPs and VP shots. Prophylax against seizures. And then be ready for vasospasm with calcium channel blockers. And if they suffer an ischemic stroke following a subarachnoid hemorrhage, increase their blood pressure to maintain perfusion. When it comes to intraparenchymal hemorrhage, the CT scan is going to show you it. You're going to manage the bleed and you're going to evacuate to prevent herniation. That is brain bleeds.